you know, we might have a lot more ground to cover today than you might think. On this podcast episode, we are going to talk about a variety of radio formats. We're talking about some legendary radio stations, a market that many, many radio people love too. But, but scratch that. We're going to talk about a market that many, many people love. Matter of fact, it's one of the premier tourist destinations in the world. And we're going to talk about that. I think you'll like that. We might talk about how to be valuable to a cluster of people. So valuable, in fact, that you spend over two decades and counting with them. And we might even touch on working for several or more companies without ever moving out of a single building. Of course, some people have had that experience, right? I will be surprised if we don't talk about loving radio. It's National Radio Day, and we've got the right guest for today. Trust me. Uh, how is talk radio different than other formats? We might touch on that, too. And why shouldn't we? Because we're going to be talking with somebody who does talk radio every day. If you appreciate someone who appreciates radio, you will love this episode. The, uh, look, this sounds like the kind of person that we really like to talk to on our podcast, right? Well, it's really true. Welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast on Apple, Audible, Spotify, almost anywhere you get your podcast. Right, we have one goal and only one goal. It's always this, to encourage radio pros at all levels. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that we drop fresh weekly episodes featuring a radio pro working in radio each Sunday. To enjoy our podcast, we always say all you have to do is be interested in others and be open to encouragement, advice, connections, tools to get ahead and ways to make your career more profitable and successful in the radio business. Each week, we have an opportunity to see a snapshot of an individual in our business. It allows us to see radio from a different perspective, a different career arc, and we get to hear how they are embracing radio right now. My name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works, or what we call ourselves. We call ourselves RPC. Our practice is actually, get this, we're a multiplier helping local radio generate higher ratings and revenue. That's right. We do both. It's just this simple. When we go to work for a client and they follow our collaborative process and our strategy, their revenue and profit margin rises. Ideas are the new technology. We say this all the time. Where do your ideas come from? Are your local radio stations programmed in position to collect the most revenue today in your local market? Do you need better sales recruitment strategy? We can help you schedule a meetup. It's so easy. You can do it by email. Uh, first consultation is free. F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. We're just about a minute, maybe less, from welcoming John Quincy. He's the program director, morning show host for 1250 WTMA in Charleston, South Carolina. A big thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which we make available minutes after the live interview that we do. We do it in our social media. A lot of people come across us the first time that way, and then they find out, oh, my God, this is actually a podcast, uh, and you can get that as well. Uh, thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast as well. By the way, you can see what you can get for free from our team. We have a free blog section at BrainMakerPathway.com. That includes our series called the Encouraging Sales Success Series. 
and our more than live and local series. And now, without further ado, as they say on National Radio Day, we welcome John Quincy. John, welcome to the Encouragers to Radio Rally podcast. How are you, sir? Excellent. Glad to be here. Well, I'm pretty excited to have you here, and we did not plan for you to be our guest on National Radio Day, but I ain't sad about it because I know some things about you. So let's start here. Okay, we're going to run the tape back all the way back to the beginning. You're from Lexington, Kentucky. Is that right? Tell us about being from Lexington. Did you grow up there? Yep, born and bred, Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, and and uh, was there for uh, many, many years before eventually coming south to Savannah that, and then Charleston. Yeah, listen, that's a really beautiful city, Lexington, right? Uh, in the uh, summertime and spring and fall, not so much in the winter. Oh, John's got a John's got some feelings about winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, I've uh, spent uh, more than once uh, uh, in icy roads off on the side of the road with uh, a big truck coming at me. So uh, I uh, was very happy when I eventually made it down to Savannah and saw the ocean for the first time and asked them when was the last time it snowed here, and they said, oh, I don't know, fifty years ago. <laughs> Did you go check mark? This is for me. I, I actually, I, we're probably jumping ahead here, but uh, I was doing mornings at a, a country station in Lexington, and I had to sign the radio station on every morning. And uh, it was on the uh, the last road in Scott County, which is uh, Georgetown, where the station was uh, located, the last road that was plowed. So I remember from working there one time before how treacherous that road was. I actually took a job uh, doing afternoons at a station in Savannah uh, for the exact same money, just so I could be close to the ocean and uh, not have to deal with snow and ice. Wait, and did you love the ocean right away? Did you go out to the ocean every day, every week? What, what, how, what was that like having that experience? Oh, it was great. And, you know, to, to be around a, a different locale, a very flat area, as opposed to uh, central Kentucky, which is a little on the hilly side. And just uh, you know, watching the weather forecast uh, back in Lexington and uh, seeing the, the very cold temperatures uh, there in December and July and February and people having problems with ice storms and losing power for long periods of time did happen in Savannah. And the time I was in Savannah didn't have a hurricane there either. So that was cool. Well, John, you might be one of those guys that if Facebook had existed back then, you would be posting those sunny beach pictures for the oh, people yeah. back in Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, look, I want to know, I'm still in Kentucky with you for a minute. Yeah. Uh, did, did you have any experiences that you remember as a listener when you were a kid with radio? Uh, yeah, it's, it's exactly. Radio was playing a lot at my house. Usually it was my, you know, parents station, whether it was the, uh, the beautiful music station or the, MOR type radio station, uh, but I do remember uh, when I was in elementary school uh, sneaking a, uh, a a radio to bed and listening to the local top forty station, and was really excited uh, when I heard him play Snoopy and the Red Baron, and I kept listening to hear it again, you know, because uh, that was mm. really exciting. The the local radio station was just kind of okay, but uh, we we were definitely a a, a media town. My dad was a printer at the University of Kentucky, 
and my mom stayed at home with her uh, four kids. And uh, but radio was um, I was exposed to radio, even though it wasn't really good radio. I was well aware of it. And it seemed like radio and TV had kind of a more top of mind awareness in my house than the typical person. So there was some mystique to it that kind of drew you into it, maybe. Let's slow roll our way in, okay? Now I want to talk about the desire. Where did the desire or the first experience with the radio bug come from? Can you share those first experiences in radio? Every year, uh, I would go to church camp up in Louisville. And the year I turned uh, was 15. Uh, I did, uh, it was against the rules, but I smuggled a transistor radio in and dialed around and heard WAKY in Louisville for the first time. This was 1970. And yes. that station did not sound like the ones in Lexington. I mean, it was a little highly different. produced. It was, he had people like Gary Burbank and Dude Walker and uh, Billy, uh, Bill Bailey. Uh, that were there and uh, weird beard folks like that, uh, mm -hmm. that uh, just it was just incredible how tight, how you jingles were playing all the time. Uh, the music was incredible. Hey, I was 15 years old and I loved it. And uh, after that week, I went home to, um, to Lexington and uh, got the tour of the local radio station because the thing that kind of drew me in was how did all that stuff happen? Where did those singers come from? How did the, mm -hmm. the songs get played on the radio? Where did the news come from? Uh, that kind of thing. And so I took a tour of WLAP and uh, later WVLK, uh, where I got involved in a junior achievement radio company. And uh, from the very beginning, what really fascinated me most about radio was the technical aspects, not the transmitter, but the actual mechanics of putting together a show of, uh, of uh, you know, spinning the records and learning how to run a tight board and joining the network on time and, and uh, blending the perfect jingle with a perfect song. Uh, uh, as far as be, being on the radio and talking, that was purely secondary to the art of, uh, I would have been a great engineer at WABC in New York for Dan Ingram. <laughs> Wow, it's so fascinating to hear you talk about this. Look, we've had over 100 guests. You're the first one that's entered through the technical room. I, I shouldn't say that. We, we've talked to chief engineers before, but this is different. You're talking about how it's put together. You're talking about the building bricks of the architecture of it. It's pretty fascinating for a radio dork like me because, dude, I'm all into it. I'm like, oh, how does it put together? Oh, yeah. How that's a program director's life, right? So listen, you talked about your parents and what they did, which is fascinating enough because you kind of see that there's an elevated sense of certain things. Were they supportive of the radio thing for you? Yes, as a matter of fact, they were. Um, I came back and got involved uh, in the Junior Achievement Program at WVLK. The guy that told me about that was a student teacher in my English class, he had gone through that at one time. And um, uh, they uh, don't think I got my driver's license. They would uh, take me down to WBLK in the Phoenix Hotel in downtown Charleston every uh, Wednesday night and pick me up later. And uh, uh, they were very appreciative of that. I think uh, 
my dad, uh, who really uh, had a respect for radio people, was kind of excited that I was into that. And uh, then later on, uh, when I did get my driver's license, I sent out uh, letters to all the radio stations within driving distance because I knew at that time that I was not good enough or had enough experience to get a work, uh, get a job in Lexington radio. I would have to start in uh, one of the smaller towns that surrounded mm-hmm. the city. And uh, I uh, eventually got a job between my uh, junior and senior year of high school that summer uh, working for WPDE. Well, actually, the call letters, call letters have changed to WBGR in uh, Paris, Kentucky, uh, about uh, 30 minutes down the road from where I lived. And uh, me and my 1965 Corvair would go there every night and uh, play country music, which was really, really bad in the early 70s. I wanted hey. to be a top 40 jock so bad. Uh, hey. now I've, come, I've, come, I've come to appreciate it. But, you know, when you're 16 years old oh, and, yeah. you know, you're playing Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty and Merle Haggard and stuff like that, you uh, you, you couldn't wait to do something else. I, w- I was really excited when I got to play Mac Davis, Baby, Baby, Don't Get Hooked on Me, which had crossed over at the time. Uh, because that was a record that they played on the uh, top 40 stations in town. But so, uh, the, so listen, on the inside of you as the kid, you're playing that country music, which back then would have been probably popularly referred to as country and Western music. Yeah, we play both kinds and, of music, country and Western. Yeah. And, and you're on the inside of your body. You're going, come on, man. I could be playing this up, right? Yeah, exactly. You know. Some Doobie Brothers or Grand Funk Railroad or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so listen. When you think back, way back to the beginning, uh, what was your first goal in radio? Now, I want to be specific. What did you want to do? Did you want to program? Did you recognize that? Did you want to do mornings? Did you just want to get it? What was happening? Uh, I just wanted to have a good job, having fun on the radio. Uh, I didn't even think about becoming a program director or doing mornings. It was I was just content to to um, work on the radio and uh, play songs for people and uh, run my tight board. You know, because because you know that if you run a tight board, you get extra ratings points. Um, and uh, that that was it. I'm sorry, I didn't have any lofty goals at that time. Uh, eventually, I, I obtained some, but. Uh, mm. As long as I was happy and the paychecks didn't bounce and uh, I could afford to drive my 1965 Corvair to that radio station, it was fine. <laughs> you wish you still had the car, John? No, no. No? no it, left, it left me on the side of the road uh, one too many times. So I upgraded to a 1973 uh, Chevy Vega, which Vega. didn't last very long either, but at least it was new at the time. Yeah. All right. So, look, you come up out of Kentucky. Uh, I couldn't help spotting these call letters. And look, today, it doesn't mean the same thing. But when I was in high school, this meant a lot. You were at WZAT in Savannah. Some people yeah, yeah not, I was. Look, was look, too, some, yeah. some people may not know about the hot rock and flame throwing Z, but I do. I know a little bit about this. That used to be a really cool top 40 station. It was. What was, 
what was happening there when you worked there? And I got to ask, was Spanky McFarland there? No, I preceded him. I was there in 80 and 81, and I think uh, he was to come a couple of years later. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was was a great radio station. It was my first time doing a top 40 at night. And I loved it in stereo. They had a really great uh, physical plant uh, downtown um, in Savannah on uh, Broughton Street. It uh, and was we it had the overlooking the street WSGF and WSGF was running a, a more more of a traditional top 40 format with jingles and mm-hmm. stuff like that. We were playing the same kind of music, but we were a little hipper. We didn't run any yeah. jingles. We just uh, uh, tried to be hipper than they were. And we were. And we literally, you know, ran them out of town, ran them into another format. Oh, yeah. And my high school years, ZAT, man, that was the station. Now, you talked about it being down on that street. Was it where you looked at, you were on the second floor and you, you the studio, you actually looked down on the street? That's correct. Yeah. 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 That's we kind were in of there cool. next to the movie theater. The station at the time was owned by uh, the same people that owned the, the Wise movie theater. So uh, when I was there, we had the uh, uh, WZAT on one building, on one side of the building, and then WSGA, which was a pretty good sounding little radio station too. I was doing top forty on AM. Uh, they were on the other side. John, you, you know we're going to talk about this. I mean, here we've already talked about Savannah. We dipped in, we dipped our toe in a little bit, and we heard about you and the I got to get out of here and go where there's a beach. You spent a lot of time in Charleston, South Carolina, and this would seem to make a lot of people who love that city pretty jealous. Uh, I want you to tell us about 1981 and WSSX. Uh, some pretty heady people came out of 95SX back in that era. How did you get hired at WSSX? What did you do and who hired you? I had a friend who uh, had gone to Savannah before me, a friend from Savannah. He'd gone on to Charleston, I'm sorry. And uh, he was working at uh, WXLY, I believe, at the time. And uh, he told me that uh, 95SX was looking for an afternoon guy. And Mm. he was telling me how much money it paid. And it was much more than uh, what I was making, even though I was having a ball doing nights at Z102 in Savannah. So I went up for an interview. I interviewed with the program director, Bill Martin. And uh, shortly thereafter, I was hired. And I was doing four to eight. and. uh, eventually changed a couple of shifts, but worked with some great people, was, was there for about four years. And um, it was great because when we started the station, it was doing E. Alvin Davis's top tracks format, where oh, yeah. it was like an AOR station, only you got to talk over the record intros. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, we were playing, we were playing uh, Stairway to Heaven uh, once every 18 hours, uh, as oh. Freebird was in that rotation too. Uh, and uh, I got my fill of Journey and the Eagles uh, back then. Uh, and then uh, back when the MTV Top 40 rebirth happened, uh, the station uh, changed to more of a traditional CHR with uh, Z100 jingles from Jam. Uh, Brian Phillips became the program director. We had a lot of great people coming through there. Uh, uh, Steve Cochran, who's now doing mornings at WLS in Chicago. Worked with him, uh, Bo Daniels, who uh, was doing nights there uh, uh, under both PDs, and he's in Detroit working at uh, 
uh, a classic hit station up there. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a really great opportunity. We were number one in the market and that was incredible. What was it like to work with BP back then? Brian a very Phillips. young Brian Phillips. Uh, yeah. He was good. He was, he was a good uh, boss. He was uh, very fair. Uh, I don't remember too much interaction as far as critiques were concerned at the time. I guess he thought I was okay. I was also the production director uh, at, at that time. So I was in charge of that. Uh, we got along okay. And uh, he's a, a really classy guy. And I'm, I'm impressed by his success. And now he's uh, the vice president of programming for the, uh, the chain that I work for right now, Cumulus Media. You know, that's a, I think that's a pretty great word to use with Brian Phillips, classy guy. He, he really has a lot of depth and is a very interesting guy for sure. And has done some great things. Listen, since, since you've worked in both Savannah, Georgia and Charleston, South Carolina, can you talk about the differences in working radio in those two cities and how those cities might be similar and different at the same time? Uh, weather wise, they're, they're similar um, as far as the climate is concerned. It's easier to get around in Charleston because it's larger. There are more roads. It seemed like in Savannah, you only had to, had a choice of about two roads to get from one end of town to the other, at least when I was there in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, the, the radio was actually pretty good as far. I mean, they took it seriously. Jerry Rogers, who was the program director of uh, SGA uh, and uh, well, the general manager of SGA and CAT, uh, he won many, many, many awards. Jerry and, owns uh, a radio station over there these days. He still. does. Yeah, he yeah. does. A quality rock uh, station uh, licensed to Richmond Hill, but in Savannah and, and does quite well. And a lot of the people that were with him at the WSGA and WCAT are still with him today. Um, but uh, the, the very historic cities, uh, Charleston is just bigger. Um, mm. You've got more beaches to pick from. Savannah is just the one. Um, people are about the same. Food's good, both places. Um, as far as radio is concerned, I would say at the time, uh, you know, there were bigger budgets. Uh, the uh, people on the air uh, tended to be a little more seasoned, a little more polished in Charleston, as you would expect. Uh, TV was better. Local TV news was better. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Savannah's a nice town, and uh, uh, we regularly work with, uh, with uh, our uh, cumulus cluster down there because uh, our market manager is the market manager of both Savannah and Charleston. So we're on meetings with them all the time. So you kind of are tuned into what's happening in Savannah radio as well as Charleston then, right? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'd be curious to know, John, do you, man, you live in Charleston. I mean, I, I have moved to Southwest Florida, which is sort of like moving to Brazil. So like Charleston is no longer in the, Hey, let's jump in the car and go to Charleston part of my life, uh, which is kind of sad, but here you sit in the middle of it. Uh, do you go visit Savannah? Uh, I did uh, a couple of years ago. I used to mm -hmm. go there all the time, um, but not so much anymore. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, Savannah's nice. Every, you know, every five years or so to go 
look at it, but uh, pretty much I can't really think of anything unique about Savannah that you don't have in, in Charleston. I mean, we've got uh, all the touristy historic things to do. The, uh, uh, the class of the city is, is, is good. Um, Plus you started that war, John, (laughs) you know, I, I, listen, having worked in that city and worked in Savannah, I worked in both in radio. uh, I could just tell you, I remember for years, people would, would bring their, their parties, whatever, from different cities. And they would want to know how do we create the dynamic that Charleston has created in terms of tourism. And I always would roll my eyes and go, well, here's how you do it. You start a civil war. Okay, see if you, and then you wait for a hundred or uh, you know, 120, 130 years, and then yeah. boom, it just oh my god. And you and you keep the city the same size, you know, because you guys have all those covenants downtown. That's why downtown sort of has the look of 1850, if you will. So, yeah, the uh, the buildings can only be a certain height, you know, you can only go as high as the uh, highest church steeple. Uh, you so, know, there, so when you look at a something... town like Columbia, South Carolina, and Compare it to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, uh, it looks totally different as far as the skylines are concerned. Well, and just slipping something like this on a podcast episode like that, you just alerted the rest of the country. It's like, wait, did he just say the tallest steeple, church steeple? Yes, he did. That's what yeah, it's Char- like in Charleston. called the holy city because of all the uh, churches we have. I don't know how all many right. of them are full anymore, <laughs> but, but uh, we certainly have a lot of churches and you know you're welcome to come to charleston just don't don't stay we're don't very st- very crowded st- charleston is full okay we could probably yeah. make room for you for a nice weekend or maybe a week or so but come right. spend your money and then go home please thank you this message brought to you by john quincy for your money all right so so listen not, not associated am, with the uh, charleston chamber of commerce that's right so listen i am going to get serious with you something really happened to you in charleston uh the first entry looks like 1981 we talked about that 95 sx but you have worked for uh let me say it this way it would be more fair to say maybe you haven't worked for some radio station i don't know there's fewer i how do I say this? You've worked for the same cluster for a long time. Uh, would you have predicted back in 1981 that you would stay in Charleston? No, no, I wouldn't have thought that I would have been in Charleston more than two or three years. But uh, I've never been one of those people that want to, um, you know, live out of a U-Haul the rest of your life and go right. to a larger market for an extra hundred dollars a week or whatever it is. Um, I. I tend to to go someplace and stay there for as long as they'll have me or until another opportunity just pops up. Like I would have never left 95 SX if the guy across the street didn't uh, call and offer me more money to go uh, be at his AC station. Um, I would have still been there. And luckily I didn't have a con. I never signed a contract. So it was good. They were, they were scrambling going, Where's his contract? Oh, he never signed one. Oops. But uh, uh, I then went to that other station and stayed for almost 10 years. All right. So let's talk about this, because I want to underscore this with people so they understand this about you. 21 years, eight months or so. Is my math correct? Is that right? Then I've been with the current operation. Yes. All right. Now, 
they must really like you, John. Tell us about your experiences with, and I'm just going to kind of throw them all together and then let you kind of fix the soup because some of them are the same radio stations with different call letters. WXTC FM, WBUB, WKLY FM, WNKT, WSUI. Tell us about your history there. Well, I uh, was out of radio for a while, uh, just doing it part-time at Oldies 102.5 WXLY. Uh, and I uh, was working uh, in uh, the computer industry. I was reviewing uh, software for ZDNet and then eventually got a job uh, from the people that uh, make Cool Edit, which is now Adobe Audition. They asked nice. me to write the manual for uh, version 2.0, which I gladly Are you did. serious? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, uh, I wrote that. And then about the time the money uh, ended up uh, running out, <laughs> Uh, right. A friend of mine, uh, Bruce Roberts, who I think you know is an engineer in Charleston. Uh, I was too. doing some work with him at his recording studio, engineering some radio broadcasts uh, that uh, ran on NPR stations. And uh, he was telling me that they weren't happy at WTMA with their current program director. WTMA was a news talk station, which I listened to a lot um, mm -hmm. when I got off the air from whatever radio station I was playing music at. I would listen to the I didn't want to hear any more music. Okay. I, I checked in with WTMA and, and became quite uh, enamored by that format and the radio station and the personalities that were on the station. And uh, they were not happy with their current program director. And I said, well, I'd like to, I've never programmed talk radio, never been on talk radio, but I appreciate uh, WTMA and uh, I listened to it and I know what I like. And so uh, I was hired um uh, uh, the time that I worked with you, you know, in the, this yeah. was the early 2002, I came to work. Uh, Steve Jason was a general manager that hired me and I became the program director of WTMA and the other AM station at the time, WTMZ, uh, wasn't now, on see, the air. I really want to talk to you about this. I want to stop. What is, what is it? The firemen say stop, drop and roll. Okay. I want to stop and talk about 1250 WTMA. If you're like me, you know that talk radio is special. Done well, it's the heartbeat of what's happening in a local market. Can you talk about the difference in your career in music radio and then compare it to doing mornings on talk radio? Well, you uh, don't have to talk for 15 seconds and shut up and let the music play. That's the big thing. Uh, talk radio is the most current, most immediate format out there. We have a, a CHR station and an urban station in our cluster. And even though they've got really happening songs uh, that, that were recorded maybe even a couple of weeks ago uh, in yeah. talk radio, we can talk about stuff that's going on right now, stuff that happened last night, stuff that's going on that really affects people's lives. You know, right. music is great. I love music. Uh, I love music radio, uh, but the stuff that really matters when you get to be of a certain age is, uh, you know, uh, why am I paying so many taxes? What's going on with the school board? Um, what, uh, you know, what's the deal with going on in Washington or Columbia, the state capital of South Carolina, or the, the local area, you know, the mayoral race? Uh, that's the stuff that's really cool, and especially on a local show, you can talk about that and actually make a difference 
and yes. other people's life. It's easy to talk about, you know, uh, well, I hate the president or this guy would do a better job than this uh, Yahoo up in uh, Washington. Uh, that's easy. Uh, but what's really hard is to actually find the, the stuff locally to talk about and uh, really make a difference in people's lives and their perception of what's going on where you live. The best talk radio is local talk radio. And John, you really uncover things. This is the thing that fascinated me about you when I had close proximity to you. I feel like WTMA has experienced a lot of good things because of you. You care about the radio station. You care about the community you live in. Talk to us about WTMA, please. Share about your responsibility of being the current program director of this radio station and the morning show host. That's two big jobs, John. What are you doing there? I'm very honored. WTMA originally came on the year 1939, same year that Gone with the Wind and the Wizard of Oz came out and has been a leading radio station in Charleston since then. Uh, back in the uh, 60s and 70s, it was the hot top 40 radio station and uh, uh, switched to the uh, talk radio format in 89, uh, the same time that uh, about the same time that Hurricane Hugo came roaring into Charleston. And a good time to be a top. It's good time to make that transition, right? Yeah, we had a guy by the name of Dan Moon, who uh, was uh, the guy that got on the air every night. Uh, and uh, while the generators were going on and uh, telling people that uh, they were going to be okay and talking them through uh, Hurricane Hugo, which was the worst storm that I've ever been involved with uh, back in 1989. And uh, the station kind of just launched from there. We uh, had we were the station that ran Rush Limbaugh uh, and a lot of other great uh, national talk shows. We've had good uh, local radio hosts. Uh, like Dan Moon later, uh, we had uh, Richard Todd, who was a, a, a big success for WTMA, uh, folks like uh, Tara Servatius uh, okay. and uh, Charlie James. And then there's me. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Before you start talking negatively about John Quincy, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to say this. For me, if it happened to me, and of course it can't happen to me because I don't have any talent, but we'll put that aside. It would be exciting for me to get in that talk chair in the morning, especially after all the people you just mentioned, some of which I have a deep love for, as you know, uh, because I know that radio station a little bit. Um, does it excite you to get in that chair? Forget about being the program director. I'm talking about being in the chair and running the conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a, it's a big thrill every day. It's an honor. And uh I still um, I want to mention this, that uh, there are a lot of other people far more talented than I am uh, that have not been able to continue their radio career. Uh, almost every morning when I walk into the radio station, I just say a prayer and thank God that he has uh, given me the ability and the, uh, the, the talents or the, uh, the opportunity uh, to, uh, to to fool people another day because I know just really how bad I am. <laughs> but somehow, uh, 21 years later, I've been able to to uh, continue to work at the radio station. I think it's because I work cheap, you know? I don't have any, uh, any high-priced demands, you know? Oh, okay, that's listen. what you're going to pay me? Fine, no problem. 
No, I, I'm only going to sustain a little bit of this. I'm just going to say that you're a quality guy that cares about what you're doing. I'm sure that you bring a lot to that morning show. In fact, it's the care that I want to talk about now. You care not just about WTMA, although I always had admiration for your soldiering of that radio station and your desire to make it quality. You care a lot about radio, not just radio in the current sense, but in the history of radio too. Listen, uh, you design and maintain web pages, including history websites for WTMA, of course, uh, WAKY, WKLO, WCSC, and WOKE. Am I getting that right? How did that start? Why is that a passion? And what have you learned doing all this, John? It started in 1999. Uh, WTMA had uh, just celebrated their 60th birthday on the year. And I was excited to be able to listen to hear what they had cooked up. I had not joined the station and I was a, just a regular civilian. And um, I was disappointed because the station was 60 years old. And the, the audio material that they had to celebrate their birthday with, it was pathetic. There was hardly anything. I mean, they had a few guests. They had some people that uh, were at the radio station years before. Uh, but I told them, my friend Bruce Roberts, I said, this is really bad. Somebody needs to preserve this. And so after that, I was on a quest to uh, get as many air checks, uh, DJ bios, photos, uh, music surveys, as I possibly could. I initially put the, uh, the stuff on uh, Bruce's website is for his studio, ARP Studios, but eventually uh, had enough to start WTMAMemories.com, which still goes mm -hmm. on today, WTMAMemories.com. I look back at the radio station, and uh, the next time the radio station did a uh, – did a, uh, a reunion or a, a, a look back, a major anniversary, I made sure that they had plenty of stuff to play on the air because I'm naturally a, a pack rat when it comes to air checks and jingles and things like that. So that's how WTMA Memories started. And eventually uh, I added uh, uh, information for a, another radio station in town, WOKE, and mm -hmm. uh, eventually... Uh, this goes back to Wacky in Louisville. I wanted to um, talk to their program director, Johnny Randolph. Mm -hmm. And I had the idea of putting together a, uh, a special or, you know, a one-hour documentary audio-wise of the radio station. So I uh, sent a bunch of questions to Johnny Randolph. He went to his production studio and answered them, sent them back to me, and I produced uh, this, uh, this really neat special. And uh, uh, it became like one of the top downloads on realradio.com at the time. A lot of reaction. I was going to do the, a second one, but I talked to the, uh, another program director, Bob Todd. And uh, uh, he said, I asked him, I said, you know, there are a lot of radio stations that are of lesser quality or lesser historical significance or uh, uh that, that don't have websites, tribute websites, uh, maybe I should put one together of Wacky. And, uh, right. and he said, yeah, okay. And he sent me some stuff, and I was able to kind of like the WTMA model, acquire 
more air checks and photos and things. Uh, How do you go about that process, John? uh, Well, luckily, it's a lot easier with email and uh, uh, checking in with people. Hey, I know a guy that used to work there, and uh, he has this. uh, And uh, I don't know, it just kind of happened. I, do you uh, do, I do you uncover things in Louisville that uh, kind of help help me put the thing together, and uh, eventually the folks from WKLO, which was Wacky's main competition in Louisville back in the top forty days, they said, right. "Hey, how about us?" I said, "Well, you send me <laughs> this stuff, and I'll put it online." And, wait, wait. Uh, so, do you discover things in the discovery process that you go, "Oh my God, this is incredible"? Does that happen? Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's been very fascinating for me as a a lover of Kentucky radio, uh, especially WKLO. I couldn't pick them up very well in Lexington like I could uh, wacky during the daytime. Uh, But learning out about them and some of the great people that have uh, gone through KLO and and then uh, later extending that to other Louisville stations like WHAS. I've got another website, uh, uh, LKYradio.com for Lexington and Louisville radio. The wacky website is 79WAKY.com, and the Mm -hmm. uh, WKLO site is 1080WKLO.com. And what's the TMA site? WTMAMemories.com. Okay, now, are they all connected? Because, I mean, nobody else would ask this stupid question, but I would. Are all your websites about radio stations, are they all connected? Uh, there yeah. are links to each one from the other. Okay. But, uh, Good. So I could jump from one to the other, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there are things like, for instance, uh, uh, Bill Bailey, uh, not the guy that worked at WLS for a long time, although this Bill Bailey worked at WLS for about six months around 1969. He worked for both WKLO and WAKY. So if I have articles about uh, Bill Bailey, I would uh, would have links at both places. Oh, interesting. All right. So look, we all love to speculate about the future. Everybody wants to know about the future. Some people fear it. Some people are excited about the future. Now we've got people talking about artificial intelligence and AI voices and all that garbage, which, you know, don't let me be disdainful. I think there's always room for the future and there's always room for the unexpected. Okay, I'm not downplaying AI and I'm not saying that you should embrace it. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that you should always be curious and always be moving ahead and figuring out how you use different things. If you could choose the path, you, John Quincy, can choose the path of local radio in the future. What do you think you'd like for the future of radio to look like, John? Well, for radio to succeed. On a local level, like a station in Charleston or in Florida or or New York City or whatever, it's going to have to be local. And that's one thing that uh, talk radio could do good at. Otherwise, if you know you want to hear somebody, if you want to hear top 40 music on on FM radio presentation, why not listen to Z100 in Chicago or in uh, New York, rather? New York. Yeah. Chicago station. Or, you know, anybody else. I mean, why listen to WSSX in Charleston or, you know, your your local station? If it's not local, if it's not all about Charleston, if it doesn't have the appeal, then you might as well. If it's all sweepers and 
generic voice tracks, why even exist? You've got the internet, you've got smartphones, smart speakers. Uh, ding, ding, ding. That's exactly right. Yeah, it, it has to be local. And that's the only way it's going to succeed. I, I think there, there'll be a lot of transmitters that'll be uh, turned off the air. Uh, I mean, that's even happening uh, right now. Uh, there'll be uh, repurposed for some other broadcasting media. You know, well, and can can I add one? Can I add one thing to what you're saying there? Because you know, we we actually have a series on our site at RainmakerPathway.com called "More Than Live and Local." And what I mean by suggesting that idea is that it isn't just being live and local that makes you a winner. It's also being relational. Local radio is a tribe. It's a local tribe. If you do it well, you know, I hear, I'm hearing you talk about these radio stations. And when you talk about news talk stations and you talk about, you know, being live and local, oh, my God, you better be that or you don't exist. I'm surprised all the time, even though this happens more than I would like, where I will tune in and I will hear somebody doing talk. And it has no local connection at all to the ground. Yeah. And those people often will talk to me about this and they'll be like, you know, Lloyd, how can we get more ratings on this station? Blah, 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 blah. And I go, well, you should hire a local morning show. And they're like, but that's not our model. And I go, I'm sorry, you ask, right? Yeah. Being relational, being live, being local, being connected to the ground. I think this is your tribe, John. Am I right? Well, that's what we strive to be. I tell you, um, talk radio is expensive, even if you don't have a big news department. I know we lean on one of the local TV stations for a lot of our news. Um, it costs uh, a lot of money to, to hire people with those skill sets. Um, practically anybody could be trained over a matter of days to be a voice tracking disc jockey, you know, especially because, you know, it's not live. So there's a minimum of equipment to run anymore. It's all computerized. But I tell you what, the most talented people in any cluster that has a, a local news talk station are the host on the news talk stations. Because, yes. you know, the mic goes on, you've got 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or however long your break is, you are providing content for that radio station. You know, you can't just say, okay, here's a uh, Madonna record or whatever you played your format. Uh, you, you can't do that. And that was scary for me when I started out, uh, even when I wasn't the host of the show, just, just, uh, you know, doing weather or information or whatever live on the air, uh, before I was used to always being able to fire up a CD or, a, a, even a record <laughs> back in the, well, well John, the isn't, days. isn't it the equivalent of what did they what do they say about those wire walkers walking without a net? Oh, yeah, that's, that's really the difference here. I mean, you turn the microphone on and it's not like you can take a break. You can't really do that. You're the content. No, you you're you're as important as the uh, records that, that uh, or songs that uh, cost, uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to produce uh, yeah. with with talented people. You know, it's. Uh, yeah, you've, you've got to be relatable. You've got to know what's going on in the news. You have to uh, you have to prep pretty much all day long uh, so that you are ready to be on the air. You know, going back to be a, jo a jock, you know, I voice track one of the uh, uh, sh 
weekend shows on our classic hit station. Have a ball. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, but right. Man, you know, I'm talking for, you know, 20, 30 seconds at the most. And, uh, you know, if I mess up, I can uh, stop the recording and do it again, as I right. frequently do. <laughs> so, uh, But you've never done that on WTMA, I'm going to guess. Uh, no, you cannot do that. You cannot right. do that. You just have to, you make a mistake. You just keep on going. John, I want to thank you for, I mean, look, look for, here it is a Sunday. You making time for us to talk about radio, to talk about WTMA, to talk about Charleston. I want to thank you for spending that time with us and being our guest. You're welcome. Listen, please do not take for granted what we're doing here. You can help us by sharing this episode from our website, rainmakerpathway.com. We have a free blog section there, and you can just go there and click on it. You'll see where it says audio. Click on that. You can share directly from the link. You can share this with other people who are interested in growing their career in radio and audio. This episode of the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast is designed just like the other 100 plus episodes already in our archive to encourage radio pros at all levels. We want to thank our very special guest today. John Quincy is uh, the program director and the morning show host of 1250 WTMA in Charleston. I'm sure you can churn that right up and listen to him uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, you can listen to him. I'm sure they've got an app and all that. And definitely, if you want to know what's happening in Charleston, you're visiting Charleston, you'll want to you want to make that trip. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which we make available moments after our live interview. A thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. We do talk a couple of different times about sharing our podcast. Here's why we do that, because the first couple of times people run across us, it's usually in some social media or something. Eventually they go, oh, my God, this is a whole podcast, but they don't really understand. There are over 100 episodes waiting when you subscribe on Apple, Audible, Spotify, or almost anywhere you get your podcast. It is called the Encouragers, the Radio Rally Podcast. We say this all the time on our podcast. I like to say it to clients regularly and prove it to them. Once you have a radio station, you can get anything else you want. If you want to know more about this philosophy, you don't understand what I'm talking about. It is my passion to tell you all about it. We'd love to prove it to clients every day. Please remember this. If you don't remember anything else, be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of the Radio Rally with the Encouragers. You'll make it a great week in local radio.